Today, Dispatch Live's Ted Keenan is talking to Lizelle Maurice, who is the powerhouse at Border Car Chamber of Business. Maurice has prepared a plan that will likely be the end of short burst load shedding in East London. Lizelle, the Border Car Chamber of Business's power plan is really creating waves, but a lot of the residents of the city don't actually know what the power plan is. Could you give us a quick synopsis, please? Thanks, Jed. You know, uh, part of the mandate of the Chamber is investor, uh, or one of the, the, the parts of the Chamber's mandate is investor retention. And how do you, uh, you know, in, in the middle of a crisis of load shedding, how do you retain your investment for the city, particularly your big uh, OEMs, your big electricity suppliers or uh, consumers? How do you retain them for the city in the absence of a reliable electricity supply? And we've really worked with the city, and I think uh, this, the city has been instrumental, particularly the electrical engineers, have been really instrumental in, in, in crafting uh, over the past few months a, a, a workable solution that the manufacturers are very happy about. Um, you know, so we're just putting the final touches on that particular plan, but so far we have 90, 99% of the manufacturers on board particularly those that are not embedded in residential suburbs. You know, so, um, so we've divided the manufacturing sector in, into four blocks, 16, 17, 18, and 19, and those four blocks each have a group leader. Whereabouts are these blocks? Um, you know, you have the different parts of the, the set. So the Mercedes and the Elad is that will form one block. Then you'll have a different block for FNB. But all within uh, Buffalo City? All within the Buffalo City, yes. All within the Buffalo City. And um, each block is a group leader. And then each block also has a feeder line. And each, you know, for all the businesses on that feeder. And they have a sub-leader for each feeder. So, for example, if Eskom... Um, at, a, at, at a drop of a hat says you have to... Uh, you have to... Um, load shed to stage five. You know how they come and they just, you know, unannounced yes. want the, yep. the city to load shed. Um, then at least the city has a um, has contact with all the group leaders. The group leaders contact the sub leaders. Guys, you've got to drop your load by twenty percent, thirty percent. Then those group leaders and sub leaders will then ensure their industries are shut down with the required load. And this is voluntary. Voluntary load shedding, yes. But it works for the businesses. Because Absolutely. instead of odds, odds and sods of load shedding creeping in, yes. it's one day, if I understood what yes. you were saying. Yes, So, So with this uh, block system, um, they'll be exempt from load shedding from stage one to four. It, this block system is only from stage five upwards. Up to stage 16, they've already planned. You know, so they've reworked it. So uh, at load five and six, stage five and six, they would be they have to voluntarily load shed um, for one day in exchange for uninterrupted supply for the rest of the week so that they can plan better. 
our industries have lost a lot of revenue by, by, by you know, not being able to plan because ESCOM just comes and requires the city to load shed on a particular a day, just un, uh, unannounced, and that has created a lot of losses uh, in the industry. So this, we think, is the best solution in the current crisis, while BCM is working on an alternative energy supply. There was a little bit of kickback from residences when you said something along the lines of better to have the lights out than jobs out. Mm. Has that been smoothed over? You know, it, I think it's still a work in progress. Um, you know, residences have to understand to keep our big job creators in the city. We have to, uh, uh, you know, start in, in, in most instances, we win some, we lose some. We keep some people happy, we, some may not be happy. But it's better to have people having jobs instead of having no jobs but having the lights on, you know. So, so, so there has to be that trade-off, unfortunately. The industries that are embedded in um, residential areas, unfortunately, there isn't a workable solution for them. There is another solution for them, though, for like your, your Braylon um, industrial area, for example. The city is working on a solution for them, you know, where they possibly thinking of isolating at, at the substation itself, you know, so, so we'll see how that works. It was quite a challenge for you to basically run this project through the past mayor and all of a sudden Princess Falker had to come on board. Is it correct that she seems to be supporting this 100% and she is an action person? Yes, so, so the electricity portfolio came under her a portfolio or under her management since October last year. So she attended some of our meetings prior to becoming um, the executive mayor. And obviously now with this 100 days, she's had to be very busy um, with other initiatives, but she's very supportive. Whatever can keep industry here, our executive mayor is very supportive. You know, there's just a few final hiccups that we are working on, but so far, you know, we, we will be running smoothly with that. Is it correct to say that you are hoping that companies can go down for a whole day, but then operate for four, five, six days yes. around that? Yeah, there's only one... So there's one, perfect planning in place. Absolutely. I think there is only one, one of the weeks where they'll be, have to shut down for two full days. One of the weeks in a month. In a month, yes. And would those be consecutive days? Consecutive days. But then nothing stops them from still operating, but then they can run their generators for that day, for example. So this solution uh, essentially will keep most of your electricity supply on for most of the days. On the days where you have to voluntarily load shed, you can still stay open and plan, but you just use your generator on that day. Has this been a little like pushing a boulder uphill to get to this stage? Although you seem to be at the crest now. It has. It has. Because um, the, the city or the engineers have worked out a full month because that one day may not necessarily be on the same day. You know, block 16 may be Monday, block 17 may be Tuesday. You know, so, so it had to shift for the day. 
you know, and, and there has been some resistance in that some industries want this exact same day every week. And the engineers have said, sorry, we, we, you know, it can't be done that no. way. You know, so, so it has been. I mean, we had our very first meeting when, when load shedding really, really hit in January. You know, um, load shedding stage six in January. And remember, since that first meeting on the 19th of January, I remember, we now in June. You know, so yeah. it has been quite, uh, um, you know, but I think we're at the end, we're at the end of it. Who's driving it mainly for you in your committee? It's the infrastructure committee. Okay. You know, um, you know, I've been the main driver of it, uh, together with uh, the two city, Erlen Mall, Rob Ferrier from the city side, um, the HOD, the, the infrastructure department, and Iabantu. You know, they've been working um, a system. There's a good couple of things they're putting into because there's a they're busy developing something now where industry can go on and check exactly what their load the load that they are pulling at the moment at that current live state. You know, so when when the city calls and say we need you to you know drop your load or something like that, you know, then they can immediately see where they are at. So that's the software they're busy developing now. You were talking about the fact that you've got effectively champions in each area. These are Border Car Chamber of Business members, mm. and this again is totally voluntary. They are doing this for the benefit of business and Absolutely. for the benefit of the city. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our committees are all voluntary. They work really hard. Um, you know, we all recognize that what we're doing is for the greater good of the city because not only our members benefit from this it's also non-members a big part of our non-member uh, base benefit from this residents residences benefit from benefit from this because now you you retain investors they stay in jobs you know um it's a, it's a win-win for all just to move on to another subject it looks as if tourism is perking up. Mm, absolutely. Your members, how do they feel? Uh, in our tourism committee uh, meetings, the, the, the reports have been that things are definitely looking up. Uh, what we are still battling with, uh, particularly guest houses and B&Bs, it doesn't affect, affect the hotel. Hotels are still the corruption within the, the tourism industry where government officials, um, not all, let's say, 80% of government officials want uh, kickbacks to come to your establishment. You've been fighting that for a long time. And it's, it's not fight. small kickbacks, it's, no. it amounts to thousands. Absolutely. They at least want uh, between 500 and 800 rand a night back. Cash. Cash. So when they check out, so I was calculating the other day, and um, if uh, 10 government officials come and stay at your place, they want 500 rand a night back for five nights. That's 25,000 rand. They want that in cash. So can you imagine how it impacts on the cash flow of that establishment, first of all, and how it will affect their taxes at the end of the day? Because when they are taxed, they're going to be taxed on the higher rate. That other 500, 600 rand is going to be lost in the system because they can't declare that in their books. What's the solution? Political law. Political war against a zero tolerance 
against corruption. Um, travel agents need to be roped in. Travel agents have been too scared because then they're going to lose the contract uh, with the government. If I'm understanding this correctly, it is almost up to the individual person to go there. It doesn't go back to the, the, the head office or the department. So the guys that are going to the guest house are driving it themselves. And it's become a practice. It's, it's, it's driven from department, from the department, because the travel booker at the department oh, okay. also wants a kickback. That's so, what I heard recently, that they at least want their cut. You know, so when they told the child, the travel agent, please book us in X, Y, and Z guest house, we, um, you know, then they request. I think the solution to this problem would be book us a place in East London. They mustn't have a say as to where they want to be booked. Because some of the government officials, the honest ones, have said, yes, sometimes you wonder how can the department book us in this place. It is so shabby. But because of the kickback, they tolerate the shabbiness of that establishment. Give me an example, please. Let's say an establishment charges 1,500 Rand mm. for bed and breakfast and dinner. How much would the individual, if he's shady, mm. ask? Well, at that? the moment they're asking minimum 500. In Queenstown they want 700. In Antarctica they want up to 800 Rand. I don't know if it's a provincial problem or is it nationally, but that is the problem in the Eastern Cape we're sitting with at the moment. Is Bordecai Chamber of Business challenging this or is it really up to the individual? No, we are challenging it. We've actually had a meeting with some of the other business support organizations like Women in Tourism because we recognize that guest houses and B&Bs are not united on the matter. You know, if all of us stood together and say we're not going to tolerate this, then uh, government officials would not have a place to go and exploit like that. And when I was talking to one of the other guest houses, they said, yo, it's become such a problem because these people are demanding. They are so demanding and they are so arrogant. They just say, we're not supporting your establishment uh, any further if you don't play according to our rules and according to our game. Let's move on to some good news. The harbour seems to be picking up a little bit and you were saying that there might be somebody interested in harbour properties. Have you made any progress with that or is it still on, on the go? Yes, so, so there is an investor or investors that are really looking at how they can um, turn our harbour and our beachfront into really your, 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 your Durban beachfront or Cape Town beachfront, etc. You know, but they are very uh, much still in the, the talking phases because it's going to need a whole lot of stakeholders to come together and political will, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a substantial investor, you know, who has already, uh, uh, you know, done major projects within um, the country itself. You know, so it's local investors, not international investors. The other thing that, um, just on that topic, yeah, but the busyness of the harbors also increasing because of the, the the, the maize exports, the grain yeah. elevator, etc. But what we had, we had our very first agriculture committee yesterday. And it was um, all the role players around the table, uh, Dr. Dar, 
um, um, ECRTA, all of them, the CEDA, the, the Fresh Produce Market, all of them said what a, an important uh, meeting this is because it affects our food security. And Eastern Cape being a predominantly rural uh, agricultural hub, our port being strategically positioned as an agricultural port, you know, it is a very timeless meeting. So it was just the first meeting we had yesterday. Was this driven by the chamber or was the chamber part of the meeting? It was driven by the chamber. The chamber, without going overboard with your exploits, is really making waves at the moment, isn't it? When you came in, what, 18 months, two years ago? Mm -hmm. Was that your ambition? Did you want to see changes or did the changes crop up as you were working here? You know, um, I always believe that when you are put in leadership positions, that you are put there not for yourself, you are put there for the greater good of others. And it's important to make an impact wherever. So where you see the shortcomings. So so the agricultural uh, meeting came as an idea, came as a result of where the regional export um, symposium last year at the ICC. And the ECDC presented there and it says, we still import 15% of our red meat. As a predominantly cattle province, we shouldn't be doing that. You know, so so we uh, and then with the recent food. I mean, food has uh, the food prices have gone through the roof. So we, as an agricultural province, since the the, the grain elevator started up, some of most of our maize should be planted here. Fine, we have maize trucks coming from Free State, and that is good. But how are we then increasing our own maize production? You know, so so they, we definitely not maximizing on our land potential. And that agricultural committee is seeking to do that because we want to also bring emerging farmers on board and, and then link them with international markets because with the chamber, we have a, a real great database globally that we can say. And, you know, emerging farmers, if there's a need for, for whatever commodity in, in Italy, we can feed into that demand, you know, and then create those strategic linkages. Perhaps it's time to start calling Eastern Cape the Garden Province. Absolutely. The breadbasket to the rest of the world. And that's what we want to become. You know, we, we, we really think there's an opportunity for us to really make a difference. We, uh, in yesterday's meeting, um, the department reported there's 21,000 farmers. You know, a, a small portion of those farmers are older people. What are the younger people doing? How are we then going to secure our food security into the future if young people are not coming into the agricultural space? Daily Dispatch has looked at that young pe those young people coming into the space and the reply that we got from them when we did a small survey was, unless somebody can assist them with beneficiation, it's going to be difficult for them. So mm -hmm. the beneficiation starts mm. at the top of the, the chain, mm -hmm. arrange land, arrange seeds, arrange planting through to the growing and then actually turning the produce into something that can be sold or something that can be exported. Mm. No, yeah. absolutely. So, so, so we also tackle, so it's agriculture and agro-processing so. committee. Yep. You know, we're also going to look at the agro-processing part of that, 
but we need to get you know the the, the actual raw material the, the the land we need to work the land and and I think it was a very very good meeting it was so positive because you know the the department knows exactly they did the land mapping they know exactly which commodities will grow well where you know so so why can't why do we only have to plant pineapples in this area why can't it be in another area for example you know so that those are all the various uh, things that we are looking at an example of that which was in the daily dispatch a couple of days ago is that the magua tea plantation is looking at becoming a center cannabis. for mm-hmm. cannabis yeah. is this a sort of example that you would like to see Yes, and I mean there too, um, it depends on the licenses. There's a lot of work still need to be done legislative-wise when it comes to, to cannabis crops because a large portion of the community or, or society still sees it as a, a, a drug. You know, they still look at cannabis as dachan, marijuana and high. They don't look at it in, in the medicinal space. They don't look at it as in um, you can make... Um, clothing and fabric out of cannabis. So, you can build so houses out of cannabis. You know, so the hemp yeah. seeds and yes. all of that. So the, it comes with its own um, sort of value chain or, or you know, uh, yeah, it does, you know. So uh, in our next meeting, which is the last, we decided yesterday that we're going to meet the last Wednesday of every month and um, it's going to be on cannabis that next, the next month. Not smoking yet, talking about it. Absolutely, absolutely. And what South Africa's plan is regarding that and uh, where we can influence. Maybe this committee, part of this committee will be advocacy, uh, trying to unlock opportunities. If it makes it easier for somebody to grow cannabis in a certain region, how do we help that person? How do we, uh, you know, so, so it's a work in progress, but we're excited.